Did you know a podcast episode like this can provide literally dozens of marketing content assets for your business? It's brought to you by Content Monster, your go-to for engaging marketing content, like this podcast or remote video production. It's not just a podcast, it's your marketing powerhouse. Visit contentmonster.com to learn more. That's contentmonsta.com. Welcome to the Security on Cloud podcast. Brought to you by Anishin, where cloud security and compliance are top of mind. Join the conversation with your hosts, John Vecchi and Scott Emo. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the Security on Cloud podcast, live on Anishin Radio. I'm your host, John Vecchi. And I'm Scott Emo. You know, the security and cloud markets are jam-packed with companies, from large mega brands to small security startups. On a previous podcast, you heard it here first. In Richard's latest yearbook, we're topping over 3,000 known security companies. And as far as we know, that doesn't even include those still in stealth mode. That's right, Scott. And, you know, like I've always said, this enterprise security space is really unlike any other relative to the sheer numbers of companies all competing for market share and mind share in this space. With over 3,000 companies in many different dynamic security sectors, It's incredibly fascinating always to look at what trends are shaping the landscape, especially after a year like 2020. So with that, we thought it would be fun to explore and discuss what is making this space and sector so interesting for venture capitalists, especially those who focus on high-tech cybersecurity startups. So what better way to do that than by welcoming our guests for today's episode. He joins us today as Managing Director of ForgePoint Capital the premier venture capital investor for early and growth stage cybersecurity companies. He's renowned as a top tier cybersecurity investor for over 25 years. He's invested in 25 cybersecurity startups during his career, leading 18 of them to exit. He is well-respected by entrepreneurs, co-investors, board members, and go-to-market partners, and was cited as one of the top cybersecurity investors by market analyst firm CB Insights, where, by the way, he's listed as their board of directors of who's who in cybersecurity. Prior to ForgePoint, he was focused on cybersecurity investments with Intel Capital. He holds an MBA from Gonzaga University and is, of course, a huge Zag basketball fan. It's my pleasure to welcome my good friend, Sean Cunningham, to the Security on Cloud podcast. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, John. Scott, appreciate the opportunity. Um, I'm just wondering if, John, if you've got some spare time, if maybe you could use that intro to my family? <laughs> I can certainly do that. You know, I'll just record this separately and send you a copy. Sean, and, and you get, so they remind what you do every day of your life, right? <laughs> yeah, we, 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 all, we all love that. Uh, you know, the, the parents are the dorks. So do they really? So go ahead. Well, so um, Sean, let's, let's, start, let's start out with, you know, how, how did you actually become a venture capitalist? you know, focused on security. How did you do that? Scott, I actually took a, a little different route than the classic uh, VC. First and foremost, most venture capitalists are from a technical background, you know, at a minimum education. My background is uh, is more sales and marketing. I worked for 15 odd years in, uh, in corporations uh, doing uh, sales and marketing. And uh, I joined Intel and as part of uh, doing a couple uh, uh, startups at Intel, 
uh, we had a, uh, a group that called the green who funded a couple startups, sold those companies uh, off. And then uh, the venture capital group, Intel Capital, which is the largest venture capital group in the country, actually the world, uh, said, hey, why don't you come on over? And I said, no, I want to do another startup. So I did another startup. Then I joined them in, uh, in 2000. And at that time, there was no, quote, cybersecurity. It was enterprise security. And no one really wanted to look at that segment. And I was very fortunate. And one of the first deals that I was able to source was with a company that uh, John knows well, uh, Zone Labs. And they were three dogs and two cats in the back of Howard Street uh, in the alley in San Francisco at the time. And they had some pretty interesting business models. Uh, you know, they had the freemium model and then they were going after the enterprise. And so I learned a lot just from that very first investment. And then we sold that to Checkpoint and the rest is history uh, from uh, 2000. But that's how I ended up, you know, kind of an enterprise. I did that for quite a number of years and then uh, did uh, actually healthcare for a couple of years and realized that that's all about business models again. And so I uh, went back and did enterprise security and then joined uh, uh a spin out from Trident Capital, which is Forge Point Capital in 2015. Uh, the three of us started that firm. We have since raised uh, two funds, about $750 million on management, have invested in 25 companies and all cybersecurity uh, investments. And we invest primarily in Series A, Series B companies, some growth companies. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, what a... What a what a career you know path to, to get to where you are today and then you mentioned something there that I just want to touch on real quick and that you know when you were first kind of with Intel others weren't particularly looking at this enterprise security or that that space um, like you said you were kind of fortunate fortunate enough to start to want to kind of move in that direction when you look back from there to where we are today I mean what like can you summarize just how dramatically different it is today from the number of venture capitalist firms all focusing on enterprise security? I mean, is it, it's pretty dramatically different, right? Would you say? Well, it, when we were out where really, where it really hit home, John, was when we were out doing the fundraising for our first fund. And it was pretty clear that the shiny object back in 2015 was cybersecurity. All the VC firms wanted to have some type of investment in cybersecurity. And the limited partners who invest in the funds was worried about saturation. And we probably we made it pretty clear to them through our analysis that you know there wasn't going to be an issue with saturation. And the big difference now is, is as you'd mentioned in Richard in previous episode, 3,000 startups. That's about uh, I don't know, 2,700 too many startups uh, in cybersecurity, <laughs> but there's a lot of consolidation. And the key is, as, as we've talked about, there is no silver bullet. And John, you've been doing this a long time. There are so many different angles uh, to the hackers and their motivation to continue to uh, either monetize uh, these hacks or uh, be able to, you know, the state-sponsored hacks from a, a political perspective. Or just the, uh, as our former president said, the 400-pound uh, person sitting on the bed for the sport of it. So there is no shortage of motivation to continue to create havoc in corporations as well as uh, in the private sector 
So the breaches are not going to be reduced. And so that's probably the biggest thing that's changed is the motivations have uh, escalated into quite an enterprise for the, uh, you know, some of these countries, the unemployed technical talent that are not prosecuted for their bad behavior. So uh, let's uh, let's actually fast forward to, to, you know, to to now to 2020. And, you know, what in, in your opinion, what spaces are particularly hot in the enterprise security space or cloud security space and kind of what what's getting your attention now? It's pretty interesting if you look at uh, the overall you know, number of investments and where people are putting their dollars. You know, we when we put together our mapping for uh, investments, you know, we have non-goals and then goals. And some of the non-goals are a lot of the technology you've seen out there. And I don't want to say endpoint, but I'll say endpoint and a lot of legacy, you know, network type activities. We are very heavily focused on if you bump it up, not just segment, but we're, we're interested in areas that really change the dynamics of a business. So we focus on a lot of technologies that um, if you look at you know the, the old term uh, shadow IT, a lot of companies now are decentralizing the security aspect and putting it out into the business units. These business units now need to build their own, you know, not necessarily just IT infrastructure, but they need to solve their solution, their security solutions for their applications. So we're seeing a big increase in cloud security, obviously, as well as you know the automation of their technologies. So if you think about from uh, you know we we look at security as a business. Uh, we look we look at security as a business enabler and companies that are security and we want security as design. One of the big trends right now is this DevSecOps. The reason why mm-hmm. it's so important is developers are being forced by the security organizations to build security into their products. That's not what they do and they don't do it well, nor should they do it well. And it's a distraction from what they need to do. So you're seeing vendors out there, they're doing one of a couple things. One, helping them with the tools to provide them with that uh, capability. But the other thing that I think is really interesting is if you can start at the beginning, tools to help these enterprise or these uh, developers to write secure code. We invested in a company called Secure Code Warrior, actually does training gamification of uh, these developer for these developers. And then the other thing is you, you end up making it so these developers don't have to put all these security puzzle pieces together. And the biggest advantage to all of that is if they can just take a stack of security automated software, put it into their application, and then let the company who's put those pieces together actually run that security aspect from a what we call an MDR perspective, um, mm-hmm. managed detection response, kind of a, a mini MSSP. They never, that business unit never has to worry about the security on that application. And that's the beauty of being able to put all these pieces together in the cloud space. Yeah, it's 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 cool. And and of course, full disclosure, right, uh, Sean, you you 
you liked what you saw with with Anishin, and you're an investor in Anishin, um, in in full disclosure, and and I think probably I'm guessing for for a lot of what you just outlined there, the the fact that cloud is exploding, right, and and certainly after a year like 2020, um, with the pandemic, and um, you know really a lot of companies embracing digital transformation, mostly because they absolutely had to. It was imperative to the business with everyone. Um, you know, working offline and remotely, and um, and and you know that that idea of automating security in a cloud-native native way for something like DevSecOps and those DevOps teams, I imagine that was something that was pretty interesting to you with with someone like Anishin and as you said, others who are you know driving forward the cloud security space. Is that is that accurate? So, John, absolutely. And the other you know the other piece of that is. You know who's who's buying. Where are the budget dollars? And as we saw, you know there were very large winners and quite a few losers during this uh, pandemic. And anyone who could actually make that transformation quickly, particularly to the cloud, ended up uh, seeing their valuation, either private or public, expand substantially. And so, as we look at companies, uh, we look at you know who's actually going to benefit from these trends. One of the things that's unique is we typically have shied away from companies who are focused on the federal market. But interestingly, the federal market, uh, and particularly with this administration, appears to be going to spend a lot of money on on cybersecurity kind Mm -hmm. of indirectly. So one of the things that we like is not companies that directly are competing with other uh, security tools or uh, innovative solutions in the federal space, but companies that are enabling the uh, you know the ISVs who want to get those bids. So one of the things that's interesting is if you can enable a uh, a SaaS based company with this solution, and it gets back to business units need to sell their products, but they can't sell in the Fed space without actually having some of as some of the things Anishin does is having the you know Fed ramp as well as other aspects of compliance. And we also you know, we also invest in companies um, who are looking at the um, identity management space, which is also all plays into this space, all plays into this same theme of you've got to have the solutions to be able to enable the business units because in security, one of the things about security is very unusually, there's never an ROI for security. It's just overhead mm-hmm. and a hassle. But if you can actually show there's an ROI to security and a time to market improvement, that is a huge win. You have security folks on board and you have, that, have the DevOps people on board. So the the appeal gets purchased. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, to follow up on that, I mean, it uh, it's, it's true. I mean, companies are pivoting, especially after a year like 2020, they need to move fast in many cases and solutions that empower them to, to move fast through things like cloud security application automation, right? Uh, and, and DevSecOps uh, kind of things. I think, um, you know, I, I was looking at, there's not a lot of statistics. There's more and more of them coming on the size of specifically the DevSecOps market. But uh, one forecast shows that market growing to, to you know, uh, $5.9 billion market by 2023. Uh, pretty, pretty big. Um, uh, and, and I think a lot of that is, uh, based on kind of what, what excites you about that space. Uh, 
enabling these teams who need to move fast. They're developing in the cloud. It's all about cloud applications and, and moving quickly and um, how security technologies that can enable that um, and move as fast as they do are, are certainly hot right now, I would say, on, on the security landscape. There's, it's interesting if you look at it, John, from a, a public markets perspective, uh, you know, you look at the cloud providers and what their, um, what their valuations have done, as well as on the public or on the private side, you know, just skyrocketing. And it's pretty, uh, if, you, if you do the uh, comparison of even look back 10 years ago and Intel, for instance, was you know, all about moving data centers, doing the cloud, and you know, had to do a hybrid because the biggest impediment to moving the cloud has always been security, which is a bit of a red herring, but that was actually what CISOs used. They want to put their uh, crown jewels out in the cloud. But mm-hmm. the statistics now even show that you're still less than you know, 50% adoption of enterprise applications out into the cloud. So there's incredible amount of headroom. That's the reason why we believe that companies that need to move their applications to the cloud and any uh, element to be able to enable that, and whether it's through the, the DevSecOps aspect or whether through this identity you know, uh, auth- auth- authorization aspect to be able to really uh, eliminate or minimize rather uh, the chances for breach is really where you know, we're trying to invest and uh, be proactive. And a lot of that comes down to even the technology. These, you know, if you're not using cloud native technologies and using really, uh, this, as we look at, is really the, the new go-to-market uh, aspects of really selling through strategic alliances as opposed to the old enterprise model of having you know, reps in every NFL city. So it all kind of plays together and cloud actually is able to help make that transformation from a, uh, a sales perspective as well as an implementation perspective. So, um, you know, Sean, you, you mentioned, you know, in, in, uh, in a couple of the answers that you had that um, of, uh, you know, when you're investing in a security company, you're looking at a couple of attributes, some attributes that a company, you know, might have, like you mentioned ROI, you mentioned you know, time to market, you know, is, is, is another attribute you might be looking for. I, I just heard cloud native technologies is, is a big one or just, you know, cloud in general. Are there any other um, attributes uh, of a company that you might be looking at that, you know, if uh, you know, you're interested in, in investing in them that you, you might, uh, you might look for? There's a, there's a lot of different opinions, uh, Scott. I think it's really a, it's a tough question because um, every investor looks at a um, opportunity a little bit differently. Some are saying, "Hey, you know what? I want the next absolute disruptor in the in the in the industry that's going to just turn everything sideways." Well, those home runs don't happen very often, and innovation, quite honestly, is important. But at the end of the day, to me, now I take a little different approach. Being a non, non-technical guy, I look at everything from an investment from a business perspective, as opposed to the technology. Technology has to be their underlying, but at the end of the day, the POs are not getting cut because you have necessarily the most differentiated, differentiated is important, but the best technology, it's about what's the best 
solution that integrates into your uh, product and how fast can you get to market? And a lot of VCs fall in love with companies because the technology is really cool, but to mm -hmm. try to get that implemented and sold, the messaging gets very muddled and very difficult to be able to get the value proposition across. So I'm a big fan of absolutely using, you know, staying away from legacy environments and moving to the next uh, generation of technology. But at the same time, it doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles. It has to have that roadmap. And so as we look at deals, you know, it's a difference. We'll talk a minute probably about how we look at deals, but whether it's a, a C deal or series A, B or C. So it makes a big difference from an attribute perspective, Scott. Actually, that's a that that's a great answer because um you know and and I would be interested in saying you know kind of what do you you know drilling down to kind of that next level of you know what are you looking at for you know a a versus b versus c are there are there different things that you look at you know in that process? Scott is clearly uh, one of those things where uh, everyone likes to talk about the team, the traction, and the next billion dollar deal, right? <laughs> so, you know, I I don't want to say you know team is number one and so on. But, you know, you have to have the fundamentals of a team. But I think, you know, one of the things that is unique is to me, the way I look at it is if that team actually has a characteristic called self-awareness and understands where the gaps are in their team and are willing to, you know, founders is difficult to step aside and say, hey, I really better at a certain thing and maybe I'm not in that position today, so let's find the right person. And that's one of the things I'm looking for is a team that really understands what success would look like for the company as opposed to, hey, here's the numbers, we can hit it and let's just go. Uh, being able to, to, to um, want to augment that team with the right bodies. And since we don't do C deals, really need to have the technology, quote, complete as in they need to show traction. We need to be able to see that, not that they've made, you know, they have a million dollars or they have $5 million or whatever the AR needs to be. It's really more about, do they have, have they validated this technology actually works in an environment and actually the customer cares and it really does help improve their business processes or sales out even better. So that's kind of how we, I guess I we look at deals a little bit different than a lot of uh, venture capital firms, and one of the things you know most of us are operators uh, as uh, you know and investors, so we do roll up our sleeves and we do help companies understand these attributes, and uh, we partner with them. And you know I, I don't want to say that hey we come in and we'll work with you. We've, you know, we have to replace or put people, put entrepreneurs in different roles, but we don't come in like a private equity firm and, you know, do wholesale changes. But on the other hand, you know, it's pattern recognition, right? That's one of the things that VCs do well. They see these things. And after, you know, 25 deals, uh, I've seen most of these plays. And it's a matter of helping these companies recognize what is success and how to get there. Yeah, and I think I think it's one of the things. It's it's interesting. It's uh, you know just to dive into this, and for our listeners, I'm sure it's interesting because a lot of you know we don't get a chance. A lot of 
certainly our listeners and others don't really get a chance to hear from you know your perspective, Sean. But one of the things you said, I think it kind of overlooks one of the roles that that I think you and 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 others play is you help the company build. Is that I mean, in other words, it, it sounds like if it's your preference, you would prefer to get into the company earlier, right? As as you would and and but you do help the company build from the team to their approach to the strategy. I mean, there there is that element there. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays? Because sometimes that's People just think in terms of uh, you're financing it and perhaps you're sitting on the board. But as you said, you roll up your sleeves, you're helping the team build, you're helping the team structure, potentially even rebuild a team in many cases. Can you dive a little bit into that for our listeners? So, John, one of the things I encourage entrepreneurs when I, I have discussions with them is VCs are doing a lot of diligence during the process. But before I would write a term sheet, I give them open book to every deal I've done and contacts if they want them to go and do a reference on me because we're going to be, quote, living together for the next picket, two years, five years, longer. Mm -hmm. And if you can't feel comfortable working with this entrepreneur or this VC, it's not going to work because uh, when you sit down and talk about the organization and you know, just had this conversation, you know, last week. Just invested in a couple re- company recently, and there's a you know an arm wrestle about. Okay, so is this the right person for the sales leadership? How do we augment that? Okay, so does this person have you know what kind of legs do they have uh, you know for the future? And you know, if we bring somebody in, what type of individual do we need now, or what do we need in the future? So, and you know, be it marketing messaging. There's a company. Uh, uh, in the portfolio, been spending a lot of time, brought in some outside consultants to help them uh, work on messaging. We've been meeting, you know, once a week. And, you know, I don't have the answers, but at least I've, you know, I can help kind of guide as a, you know, uh, a very interested third party. But we, we don't come in and say we have the answers. We're just trying to put out a playbook to kind of walk through for them. And it doesn't, it doesn't typically end up around the technology side, which is a bit of a misnomer that most people think, that, you know, VCs are going to come in, change the technology. It's really about, you know, product market fit at the end of the day and mm-hmm. go to market and having the right bodies in place to pull that off. Yeah. So, go ahead, Scott. Go ahead, John. No, you go ahead. So I, I had a, a question when you were talking, you know, you were talking about all the, you know, all, all the things that, that uh, all the companies that you were looking at, if there is a, you know, if, if there's a company that's actually interested in getting funding, you know, from a VC, um, from your perspective, do you have some tips for like, say, security companies or cybersecurity companies, cloud companies that they, you know, that they should know um, when they're going to, let's say, approach you and uh, maybe ask for some of that funding? One of the things, um, Scott, that feels, feels a little, um, it's, it's difficult for uh, people to actually get their arms around and uh, it's it's a bit annoying is and that is most VCS don't take cold calls so if you're not networked or you're not introduced through a trusted person in that VCS network you're going to be difficult to get their attention because we see a lot of business plans as you could imagine so that's one of the biggest things is make sure you use your network and um, 
and and come in properly referenced. And it's like anything else, right? And you know, to me, it's everything's about sales one on one. At the end of the day, that first meeting, that first discussion, make sure you focus on what's important. And it's not about spending, you know, the hour that you have deep diving into the nuts and bolts of the technology. It's doing a broad overview of where the business is, what problem are you solving? And that's the biggest key I find that entrepreneurs come in and they can talk about the segment, they can talk about you know the technology, but what's the problem they're solving for the end customer? Why are they gonna pull out their checkbook? Who cares? Mm -hmm. What's the so what? And I'm a pretty simple guy and that's at the end of the day, what I really care about is, uh, you know, how are they going to be successful? What's the differentiation? You can talk about the competition and so on. But it's really, how are you going to make the buyer successful in their job? How are they going to improve their businesses by buying your product? That's really good advice, right? I mean, I, I mean just even so listeners, for those of you building a startup, I mean, you heard it here that leverage your network. Um, VCs don't really take cold calls. Um, you're, you know, leverage that and find a way to, to use that as a reference, right, Sean, to, to, to be introduced. Um, I think that's a key piece of uh, advice. It's, it's, um, a, it's a cold, hard fact that, you know, on the surface is pretty obnoxious, but in reality, that's just the way it works. It's the way it works. There's, and, and again, we talked about how many companies there are. There's so many, um, you know, how can you keep track of that? So good advice. Um, so how about this one? What should they not do, Sean? So we heard about what they should do. Really good advice. You heard this, but what should they not do? And I don't know. Tell us, tell us an example. You have one about someone who, I mean, you've been pitched probably so many times you forget to count now. Um, there must be one where it stands out as, please don't do this. Uh, uh, if you do get that, if you do get that precious hour, uh, what should they not do, Sean? So without, without, uh, going to school on any company, obviously, I think some of the things, John, that are really important that you have alluded to is, um, <clears throat> companies, when they've made the decision to go down the path and take money from the vulture capital, I mean, the venture capitalists, you know, <laughs> the, they a lot of them end up saying, hey, I'm going to do a day trip down to Silicon Valley and I'm going to go hit, uh, you know, the proverbial uh, Sand Hill Road trip. Mm -hmm. And so I've set up five appointments in one day. Well, you know what? That is a disastrous model because uh, you can imagine, you know, the things that happen. One, some of the things that happen is, you know, something as simple as the pitch deck. Gee, it happens to have the wrong VC name on the cover. Have seen that mm -hmm. movie. They're late for a movie or they're late for the meeting because logistically you can't get up and down to the different places. People coming into the valley, you know, they hear about the traffic, but until you get to experience it, it's a problem. And, the, you know, some of the, the other ones, you're having a meeting or you're starting the meeting. Everybody, hey, how are you? Da, da, da. They open their notebook to hand out the business cards. And lo and behold, the three previous firms' cards fall on the table. Oh, really? <laughs> You were, you know, talking to these guys. That's probably not uh, endearing. And the issue with that, not only that is, then we have a feel for, you know, who they're, who they're looking at. And it's not even competition. And one of the, the misnomers, too, is that we don't actually talk to 
other people doing deals in this space. We do collaborate. Sometimes we syndicate deals. Sometimes you want to get a feel without mentioning names. So it's, it's okay. We know that they're not just exclusively talking to us. And the most important thing, I think, John, is the passion for their product, for their company is lost. You know, it turns into a canned pitch when they've given it three times already that day. So my key advice here is don't try to cram too many into one day unless you really don't care about, you just want to kind of do a flyby at some of these folks because maybe they want to meet them, but they're not going to be able to put their best foot forward. Yeah, it's really quality, right? Um, and and it's great. And, and I agree. I mean, the, having done this and, and Sean, we go back to companies like Solera Networks where you were on the board there. Um, and that's a company I was also leading marketing and, and it, the passion is critical. Uh, it, it really is. It's, 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 uh, really, really good advice. So everybody, you heard it here. Um, and, uh, it's always fascinating. We knew this would be an interesting discussion. I know we could talk for a lot longer. We'll have to perhaps have you back again, Sean, as we get even further into 2021 and, you know, it's such a dynamic space. Things are changing all the time, but Fantastic discussion, Sean. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, again, if any of our listeners want to learn more about you or hear about you, where should they? Where is the best place for them to go, Sean? Uh, John and Scott, I'll just say thanks for the uh, the opportunity and happy to to come back at any time that'd be appropriate and speak more about specific portfolio companies and or technology. So, reaching me at ForgePoint cap.com is is probably the best way um you can get my email out there rather than giving it to you uh a long email right now this was so great sean thank you for uh, joining us and uh folks remember the security on cloud podcast is brought to you by nation the leading cloud application security and compliance automation provider delivering the fastest path to security and compliance in the cloud thanks again to our guest sean cunningham until we meet again i'm john becky and I'm Scott Emo. See you next time on Anishan Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Security on Cloud podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe so that you can join us again for another episode. And for tips, show notes, and more episodes, check us out at anishan.com. See you next time. Did you know a podcast episode like this can provide literally dozens of marketing content assets for your business? It's brought to you by Content Monster, your go-to for engaging marketing content like this podcast or remote video production. It's not just a podcast. It's your marketing powerhouse. Visit contentmonster.com to learn more. That's contentmonsta.com.